What is up, everyone? My name is Ajay Tucker, host of the Ajay Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is Ajay Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, watching the final for both the women's and men's side of the Madrid Open as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. I do want to discuss Jack Harlow and MGK. Uh, they recently have a battle with one another. This stems from Jack Harlow saying that he's the coldest rapper since the guy who was rapping about vomits and sweaters. And Machine Gun Kelly actually released a diss track on Jack Harlow uh, Saturday. This is very pertinent information. This is very important news. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, all jokes there. But Machine Gun Kelly actually released a diss and I kind of want to talk about it. I think it's kind of interesting to see this kind of rap battle happen. You know, for me, when I when I think about MGK, you know, obviously you think about his pop punk persona now. But back in the day, four or five years ago, four years ago, it's like five years ago actually, uh, he did actually go toe to toe with Eminem. And I'm not gonna lie to you, that rap devil song, it still goes well. It's still a nice song to listen to. Uh, so I do want to discuss MGK's diss on. Jack Harlow and what will stem from that. So yeah, I will discuss that. And, and also, and within the music adjacent world, I do want to discuss Ed Sheeran found not guilty on copying Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Apparently he was in a lawsuit uh, with Marvin Gaye's estate over the song and how The Shape of You was sounding like Let's Get It On according to Marvin Gaye's estate when in reality, when you hear the song, it's not actually similar at all in the slightest to Let's Get It On. But this is Marvin Gaye's estate. These are individuals that are very money-hungry, that are very much going to sue anything that sounds remotely similar to Let's Get It On. I mean, they tried to sue Blurred Lines. I, maybe they were right. Maybe they weren't. Maybe, maybe they weren't. I'm not so sure. But... Overall, Ed Sheeran found not guilty. I'm not the biggest Ed Sheeran fan, but at the same time, I can also admit that this lawsuit was bogus and it should never been in court to begin with. So I do want to discuss Ed Sheeran being found not guilty and the lawsuit for music. But we'll stick with tennis for today. We'll start off with tennis. Uh, we'll discuss the women's side of the Madrid Open final between Arena Sabalenka and Iga Sviantik. I was going to watch this match on Saturday, and I'll give you my overall thoughts on it, as well as a recap as to what happened in the match. And first, we'll start off with the Madrid Open final that happened on the ATP side of things. So if you guys don't know, Carlos Alcaraz played against uh, Struff and beat Struff 6-4, 3-6, 6-3 to capture his second straight Madrid Open title. This match was interesting to say the least. I actually had a lot of fun watching this match because it really showed you the greatness of not only Carlos Alcaraz but also of John Leonard's Struff as well. And you can really tell that in the moment, and in all three sets that are played, the strengths of both these players, also the weaknesses. I mean, there were weaknesses on both sides of the ball. Uh, it was fairly evident that there were weaknesses on both all across the side and also John Leonard's troop side. But overall, the strengths were just on were on full display here, and they both played pretty well, uh, very well actually. Uh, the fact that I went to three sets is, is is good enough. So just to give you a little bit of a summary as to how both these players were able to get to this point. So John Leonard Struff had wins over Oslan Karatsev, Stenel Sitsipas, and, and Shelton. Carlos Alcaraz had wins over Borna Korik, Karen Kochinov, Sasha Zverev, and Dimitrov, just to name a few. Uh, so yes, overall, 
Hal Cross beats Truth, 6-4, Let's get right into that first set, shall we? So the first set, Truth had moments, and it's important to say that. John Leonard's Truth had moments where he was just playing really well. But Hal Cross was able to regain based off of the breaks that he was able to make, and also because of the fact that he was just that much more better in terms of the baseline side of things, not only in this first set, but also throughout the duration of this match as well. So Alcaraz broke first to make it 2-1. Struff breaks on love with a backhand return serve to make it 2 all. Both held serve in the next two games to make it 3-all. Uh, Struff's fall makes it 4-3 Alcaraz. Struff shrinks a backhand return serve to make it 5-3 Alcaraz. And Alcaraz's explosive forehand fall by Struff's falling backhand lets Alcaraz take the set 6-3. And obviously I, I sort of recap that first set pretty quickly, but... I do want to talk about Alcaraz and his and his baseline play because I thought that was exceptional by Alcaraz. The majority of these points won in this match were done by baseline play. And you can really tell based on Alcaraz's forehands, some drop shots that he had. I wouldn't say that he was very much heavy on the drop shots. Usually when we think about Alcaraz, we think about drop shots and how heavy he is in implementing them from the baseline out. But in terms of in terms of his ability to play exceptionally well at the baseline, I thought he w- was much better at that than John Leonard Struff. And when you see him get that early break, you knew that from the get-go out that it would set momentum for him throughout that entire match. Um, so yeah, overall, just great stuff by Alcaraz. And it really goes to show you, this set in particular really goes to show you just how much it's important to win that first set. And not only in any final, not only in championship, but specifically against Alcaraz, because usually that first set dictates whether or not that tempo can be continued or progressed in the latter sets as well. So for Alcaraz, just an amazing, an amazing set for him. And he played it exceptionally well. I mean, obviously 6-4, more competitive than it had to be. Um, but still, it really goes to show you the strengths of both these players. And, you know, Entering in that, into that second set, a lot of people, if they were betting, thought that Alcaraz would take that second set. It was not that case whatsoever. In fact, John Leonard's truth made it competitive, and he made it much more tight than it was originally planned to be. You know, when people looked at this match, I, I saw the pundits, I saw the analysts, you know, on all these networks and all these channels on YouTube that were like, oh... You know, Alcaraz could beat him in straight sets. I'm like, I mean, John Leonard's truth had ones over Karatsev and Sitsipas. Like, again, Sitsipas has done pretty well at clay tournaments over the past few years or so. So to discount John Leonard's truth by saying that he's going to lose in straight sets to Alcaraz, I don't think you're doing him any favor when you say that. I think it's best if you be honest about it. And Struve showed in that second set why he was able to compete and why he's able to hang with the big dogs. So let's get into that second set. So Struff won to the net more often as Alcaraz would make unforced errors. Uh, Struff's smash was a little too much for Alcaraz as he would hold one love. Struff's slice volley near the net lets him break to make a two love. And again, when you're up two love, that sets the pace for what's to come in that set. So two love is, is it means something. It really does. Uh, Struff's hold on love as Alcaraz's forehand return service did at his side of the net to make a three love. Uh, Struve's backhand returns to him not playable as Struve holds to make a 3-1. Uh, I'm sorry, Alcaraz holds to make a 3-1. I, I sort of mis, uh, misplaced the name. Uh, reflex volley by Struve lets him hold to make a 4-1. 
And this is a very common theme within this set, is that a lot of the points that Struff won, he won because of his approach to the net and ending points at the net. And that's one of the issues that I had with that first set, and we'll get into that third set, but if Struve was able to go to the net more often, I think not only does that end the dropper, not only does that make Allcross not be able to hit the drop shot, but also it builds confidence for Struve. And I think in that first set, it would have been a little bit more smoother. And chances are he would have won in that first set if he was just able to go to the net more often and earlier. And as you would see in that second set, as we saw in that second set with that reflex volley by that uh, half volley, as we would see in that third set, or that slice volley when he would break to make it to love, you know, him coming to the net was very, very important to close out points and to close out games. And he was, if he was able to do that more often in this match, I think we would have seen a more different approach and more in a different outcome, to be honest with you. Uh, but overall, that's something that Struf could should keep in the back of his mind is that make audibles when needed and if something is working don't end it continue on your play continue trying to make sure that you can make it competitive and can at least make it winnable for you uh so reflex volley by Struve lets him hold 4-1 all cross lets make it 4-2 Struve's serve is not played in by all cross to make it 5-2 all cross uh holds on love to make it 5-3 so all cross is trying to make it more competitive I mean, obviously, coming back from from 5-2 to make it 5-3 or 4-2 or, you know, to make it 4-1 to make it 5-2, obviously, or 4-1 to make it 5-3. Obviously, he's trying to make a valiant effort to at least make it somewhat competitive. Uh, but it was all, all set for Struve. So Struve's half volley takes him the set to make 6-3. Overall, just nice set by Struve. Again, as I mentioned before, if he just went to the net more often, I think this match would have been different. I really would. Um, the thing is, is that he just wasn't able to do that. Um, he just wasn't able to do that in the first set. In that third set, it felt as if he was kind of shaken. There are times in that third set. Let's just get right into that third set. So Alcross regained control as Alcross break set uh, would, uh, as Alcross's break would set momentum. And yeah, that's where I, I there were issues with Stroop's play. Uh, there were a lot of times where he had unforced error. There were unforced errors, or a lot of times where he just made callous mix mistakes. Uh, there were times where he just wasn't the same self as he was in that second set. And Alcross took advantage of it. And because of that, he would then go on to win this year's Major Open. And it goes to show you the difference in terms of their mentalities, right? Obviously, their ages may be different, right? Their ages may be different. They, one may be younger, one may be older. But overall, the amount of times that they were able to play on court against the competition that they've had and how they've been able to best that competition, only one of those players can be able to say that. Only one of those players can be able to say that, and that's Carlos Alcaraz. And I think in this third set, you really you really saw how experience, especially in those bigger matches, played a role in that third set. And you can't really say that about John Lennon, it's true, because he hasn't really been able to play in these biggest in these big occasions as frequently as say Carlos Alcaraz. So Alcaraz regained control as Alcaraz's break would then set momentum. Let's get right into that third set. So Alcaraz's hold on long return serve by uh, by return, uh, by Strip to make it one love. Both held serve in the, fir- in the first three games. I, that's important to say. Uh, both held serve in the first three games. There, uh, a Struve reflex volley goes long as Alcross would then break to make a 3-1. And yeah, just small mistakes like that. I mean, I think second set Struve would not ma- have made that ma- same mistake. Second set Struve would have 
made sure that that reflex volley was in the parameters of the court. He would then set up for a hold, and then it would have been 2-all. But instead, it was 3-1. He was down two games, and it was it was quite unfortunate for him. Uh, both would then hold serve for the next three games, as Alcross would be up 5-2. Uh, Alcross's return serve would go long, as Troop would then hold to make it 5-3. So at least he was making some form of a competitive feel in that third set. At least you could see that. And while it was not as frequent as we would see in that second set, at least it would be something to witness, which is which is at least good enough. Uh, drop shot by Alcross, signature drop shot by Alcross would allow him to go off 15 love. As I mentioned before, the drop shots, in my opinion, there weren't that many as, as much as previous matches. Maybe it's because of the fact that Alcaraz was kind of tired of it, but whenever you saw a drop shot of it it, of his, it was just a thing of beauty. It just really was. And again, he shows you why he's that much different from all the other players. Um, But again, it's just from my perspective, I didn't think that he had that many drop shots in this match. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in my opinion, it felt as if he was more reserved. It felt as if he was more playing from the baseline out. He never really made that much of an inkling to just switch it up a bit, which... Kind of was his detriment, especially in that second set. But I think it's kind of important to at least acknowledge that, where his drop shots weren't as frequent as previous in previous matches. Uh, long backhand return serve by Struve on championship point allows Alcross to hold on love to win his second straight Madrid Open. And because of that, Carlos Alcross beats Struve 6-4, 3-6-6-3, as he now captures his second straight Madrid Open title and sets up a good standing to win the Roland Garros, which I think is where you want to be right now. If you're any tennis player, regardless of where you are, whether you're Djokovic, whether you're Nadal, whether you're more of the more younger players like Medvedev or Tsitsipas or even Alcaraz, to win a HB 1000 title is important and shows that you are in good favor of winning even further tournaments down the road, especially the biggest one during the clay season, Roland Garros. Congrats, Carlos Alcaraz. Very, very much a win worth noted for and a very solid win that should be celebrated. So congrats to him on the win. Obviously, he did have a hiccup in that second set to go down 3-6 or 6-3 to Struve. Not ideal, but overall, still great. You know, do I think he'll win Roland Garros? He could make it competitive, and and it would not surprise me if he did win. But again, when you're dealing with Nadal, when you're dealing with Djokovic, when you're dealing with individuals of that caliber who've won before multiple times, um, it, it's I don't think winning a major is going to be as easy as winning an ET 1000 tournament, especially when you think about the amount of individuals that have not been playing in this tournament. Right? When you think about Nadal, he did not play in this tournament. When you think about Djokovic, uh, I mean, he, he wasn't really in it. So at the end of the day, it, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to come out from this. Uh, all I can really hope for is ho- hopefully we can see a make it competitive. That that's all I can really hope for at the end of the day. Uh, but you know, when you think about the Major Open, you know, you think about Matteo Berrettini, right, and how Matteo Berrettini played against Sasha Zverev, and how Sasha Zverev was able to win two over a little over two years ago. So, you know, so you know, you think about those matches, and you're like, well, that didn't really make that much of a difference in 2021 during Roland Garros. So again, it's important to acknowledge that, to be open to that. 
And, um, but again, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't view this as a celebratory event because it is. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz won Majorca. That means something. That means something. So congrats to him on winning against Jean Leonard Struff, and hopefully we can see more matches like that in the future. Um, overall, nice match, solid match. So let's get into the WTA side of things. All right, so we talked about Alcaraz winning Majorca. Let's talk about the WTA and how Arena Sabalenka won against Iga Swiatek. So if you guys don't know, Arena Sabalenka uh, won against Iga Swiatek at the Madrid Open final. This was essentially a rematch of Stuttgart Open that happened a little over less than three or four weeks ago. Uh, and Sabalenka beat Swiatek 6-3, So all similar uh, numbers. So 6-3, Let's get into that first set, shall we? Sabalenka's late break made the difference. That's all I really wrote down for it, and that's all that really matters because it really was the late break. Uh, so both held serve in the first seven games. So, uh, backhand deadline by Sabalenka gets her the first game to make it one love. Sabalenka cross court backhand goes wide to make it one all. Sabalenka serves unreturned by Shiontek to make it two one. Shiontek holds on serve as Sabalenka returns serve goes long to make it two all. Uh, backhand down the line by Sabalenka makes a 3-2 changeover. Backhand cross court by Sabalenka goes long as Shuyantuk makes it 3-all. Forehand down the line by Sabalenka makes a 4-3. All right, so that's for the first seven games. Overall, just baseline play. Both players did not leave the baseline whatsoever. It never felt like that throughout the entire match, that they would leave the baseline. They were just chained to it, which it is what it is. They're both sort of baseline players. One of them is a counterpunch. The other is more of a aggressive baseliner. Um, but they just didn't leave the baseline. It was just all points were either winners or unforced errors or some form of the other or some form of the other. Uh, that's basically what it came down to. Uh, backhand cross court by Shiranta goes wide as Sabalenka breaks and makes it 5-3. Backhand by Shiranta goes long as Sabalenka holds and makes it 6-3. Overall, I just whizzed by that set. But again, that break made all the difference. You know, backhand cross court by Shiranta goes wide as Sabalenka will break and make it 5-3. That just shows you the amount of pressure that Sabalenka would apply on Shiranta from the baseline with the amount of with the amount of, of of backhand winners and forehand winners that she would have and that she would generate from the baseline. It just goes to show, show you just how different she is of a player and just how much of a different specimen she is than Triantic. You know, Because with Sabalenka, she's really able to add pace to the ball. She's really able to add control, not only just control, but just power and, and just pure, pure force whenever she needs to. And I think... You really saw that into that break where she would just apply so much con- like pace to her shots and just so much more power from that baseline. And that was result, result in winners, that result in Shiontek having some unforced errors and really threw Shiontek off her game in that first set. So I don't know if this is a good indication as to what will happen in Roland Garros, but hey, take this as as of note. Take this as of note. Uh, backhand by Shriantek goes long as Sabalenka holds to make a 6-3. So that's the first set. Second set, Shriantek actually played better in that second set than her first set. Uh, Shriantek's serves were too much for Sabalenka to handle in this set, uh, and you would see why. So return serve by Sabalenka, forehand goes long as Shriantek makes it 1-love. Forehand by Sabalenka is dead in the net as Shriantek breaks to make it 2-love. As I've said before, once you go up 2-love, and if you're able to hold, serve, and do it well, there's really nobody that can touch you. Like when you get an early break, 
And that's often a good indication that you'll win that set. Very rarely do you get a break early in that set and then lose. It's more often than not, you break and then you win. Um, Shriant, so, sorry, Sabalenka returns up goes long as Shrianta holds to make a 3-love. Backhand down the line, clean winner by Sabalenka allows her to hold to make a 3-1. Backhand down the line as Sabalenka breaks to make a 3-2. Again, she was just able to do well with the backhand down the lines, by the, back, by the forehand down the lines, by backhand cross-court, forehand cross-court. She was able to utilize all her skills to her advantage when it came to playing well at the baseline. Whether it's forehands, backhands, whether it's down the line, whether it's cross-court. You know, really saw a lot of winners uh, from Sabalenka back at that baseline. Uh, return served by Srianta goes wide as Sabalenka holds to make a 3-all. Return served by Sabalenka goes wide as Srianta holds to make a 4-3. Srianta return serve is unreturned as she breaks to make a 5-3. Return served by Sabalenka goes wide as Srianta takes the set to make it 6-3. Overall, just a nice, well-played match or set by Srianta. Nice played match as well. Obviously, Sabalenka will win, but uh, just a nice, well-played set by Srianta. Obviously, when you play against an opponent so many times, obviously you're bound to make it more competitive because both of you know have an understanding as to what the other player does well. I mean, whether it's Sharapova and Serena Williams, whether it's Federer and Nadal or Djokovic and Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, you know, you're going to know a lot more about your player the more matches you play against them. And again, it's important to know that this was a rematch of the Stuttgart Open that happened a little less than a month ago. So obviously, both these players know from the beginning of the tournament, probably, that they're going to play, play each other in the final. And they were preparing this moment for this long. So it it's important to state that. So that second set, I felt like Sabalenka was just a little bit more prepared. Or sorry, Sriantek was a little bit more prepared in that match in the second set. Obviously... In the entire match, it was it was Sabalenka. But for that set, you can really tell that it was important for her to at least tie it up and make it competitive and make it a third set. So that's, I thought, you could set, you could tell. Third set, again, this was just a rehash of what made Sabalenka win in that first set. You know, that third set was just pure aggression by Sabalenka. You really saw her be able to break at key times. Uh, you really saw her do well on return serves. She was able to correct her mistakes, rectify her errors, and you saw that play out in real time. Sabalenka's ace allows her hold to make it one love. Sriantek's forehead goes wide as Sabalenka breaks to make it two love. Sabalenka would then hold to make it three love. Sriantek's serve is on return to make it three one. Sriantek would then break to make it three two. So at least you could see there was a little bit more competition or comp- uh, competitiveness in that third set, but still 3-2. Shriantek's backhand down the line would make it 3-all. Sabalenka adds pace to her rally uh, as Shriantek's forehand goes on return to make it 4-3 Sabalenka. Uh, forehand cross-court by Sabalenka was a thing of beauty. I don't know why I stated it was a thing of beauty, but it was a thing of beauty. Uh, forehand cross-court by Sabalenka was a thing of beauty as she would break Shriantek to hold for championship. Uh, forehand cross-court clean winner by Sabalenka ends competitive final game of the match to make it 6-3. Overall, Sabalenka beats Shriantek. She gets her revenge from the Stuttgart Open final as she now stands in good standing for the Roland Gar- for the French Open for Roland Garros. I cannot be more excited for Sabalenka uh, and for Shriantek as well. Obviously, I think both these players will meet up again. Uh, if they're in the same ranking in the same bracket for French Open, I think you're doing yourself a disservice when you do that. I really do think so. I think this this is one of those matches where 
or one of those one of those times where you got to make sure one is ranked number one, the other is ranked number two, because to simply make it that it's that one is is one and the other is three and that they're in the in the same bracket. I don't think you're doing yourself a, a yourself service. Uh, you're doing yourself a service by doing that. I just don't think so. I think it's best when you're able to make sure that you're able to get both these players in two different brackets and two different seeds and that they can all sort of play off against one another. I think that's the best way you can sort of shake it up a bit. So yeah, overall just a nice, nice match for Sabalenka. Again, she was just that much more aggressive. And again, if either of these players were able to go to the net, I think you would have seen a much more different match. I think if Shriantek went to the net more often, I think you would have seen her uh, come up with the W. But again, it's this is Shriantek we're talking about. You know, it's, this is an individual that is often chained to the baseline in a lot of ways. And it stinks to see that, you know, because I do think that uh, that you could see more of her on the net and she could probably end matches clo- closer or sooner if she was able to go to the net more often. But again, you're dealing with an aggressive baseliner like Sablanka. I mean, she played right into her trap, right? If you're an aggressive baseliner, you want to make sure that your opponent stays at the baseline because if your opponent goes to the net, that's an admission that's saying, hey, your forehands, your backhands, your ground strikes are just not that fast-paced. They're not that aggressive. And you should reevaluate your overall focus on what's important in this match. You know, so Shriantek played right into Sabalenka. She really did. And it really affected her in her play. And you could really see that in that first set and third set, respectively. Um, but overall, just a nice, nice victory by Sabalenka. And again, this this French Open, man, this Roland Garros, it's going to be very fun. It's going to be very enjoyable. Um, I don't know who else will be in that same running uh, with with Shriantek and Zabalenka, obviously, Amirata Kanu is injured, so rest up. Hopefully, she gets better. Uh, Naomi Osaka, who knows where she's at. So, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen uh, with Shriantek and Sabalenka. But hopefully, we can just see better tennis or great tennis. Um, I feel like this weekend has been pretty good for tennis. I'm not going to lie. I felt like the two matches that we were able to watch were really good matches, to say the least. Um, or to say the most. Hopefully we can just see more of that in the future. That's all that really matters at the end of the day, is being able to see more of these matches in the future. And if that's going to happen, then it's it's good. It's it's a good thing. So anyways, those are my thoughts on the matches. Leave your comments down below on how you felt about these matches, whether it's on the WTA side of things, whether it's on the ATP side of things. Were you, are you, are you guys fans of, of these uh matches were you guys fans of these matches if you had to uh say what was the better match what would you say it's a better match whether you say it's triantek or samlenka what do you say it's all across truth leave your thoughts down below uh who do you think out of these four players that i talked about will have the best chance to win roland garros i want to hear all your thoughts and uh just uh all your thoughts and opinions down below uh because i do think that we will see one of these four in the final four when it comes to uh, the major of the French Open. I really do think so. I do think that we'll see one of these players in the final four. Maybe not John Leonard's truth. Uh, that may be a little bit too much, but maybe one of the three. Um, but again, don't discount John Leonard's truth either. I do think that there we are due in course for a Cinderella run. There is usually one player 
that's able to squeak into week two of a major that nobody had any understanding or inclination or inkling that that player would make it to week two. There's always one Cinderella run in a major. It might be John Leonard Struff. It might be... It might be uh, Shelton. You know, it might be Dimitrov. It might be Borna Korok. Who knows? I mean, Borna Korok is ranked, but who knows? Uh, we are doing part for a Cinderella run. So who knows when that will be? When, when, who will that be? But just know that it is inevitable. There will be a Cinderella run at these majors some point or another. It's always happened like that. It's always been like that. There's always been a Cinderella run at each major. All right, guys, I think that's it for the Tennis for Today. Uh, let's get into news outside of tennis and to music. It's tennis and music today. Those are the two talks for today. Tennis and music, tennis and music. But yeah, let's get into our next topic for today. Uh, Ed Sheeran is found not guilty on... Well, let's start that again. Let's start that again. I, I didn't like the way I started off. So Ed Sheeran has been found not guilty in the Marvin Gaye lawsuit. Apparently, Ed Sheeran was sent to court because of the similarities between his song Ship of You with Let's Get It On. And the court found it inconclusive that he stole Let's Get It On to be in his own song of The Shape of You. Uh, so uh, this is very, very important because I do think that in a lot of ways, Marvin Gaye's estate just sues everybody out of existence if there's any similarities to their own signature song let's get it on which if i'm marvin gay right now right i know he's in a, he's dead but if i'm marvin gay i'm like you're this thirsty to get money out of me uh, like i'm sorry like you're this thirsty to get my uh, by the way it's not a shape of you it's thinking out loud um ed sheeran was found not guilty on on um, uh, whatever i'm not going to repeat that again okay i'm not going to repeat that again i was like okay try to repeat this for youtube shorts but i'm like fuck it just do it live cold turkey like whatever like i'm not gonna um i hate youtube shorts so much i was thinking about hey well why not you know make a youtube short out of this and then go on like that but i'm like fuck it just just do it what it what it is it's thinking out loud, not shape of you. I don't care what song it is. Both songs are, in my opinion, uh, very ear-inducing, very, very much cringe-inducing. Because whenever I hear those songs, it's at a retail store, and I hear, I see the employees want to gouge their eyes in front of me, and because of that, I feel so bad for those retail workers that I too want to gouge my eyes with them. Like these songs exhibit that behavior they make you want to feel like you want to kill yourself uh i'm and i'm saying this because i do like ed sheeran i think he's a very nice guy by all fronts and accords he seems like a very likable guy you know very nice person very nice chill dude it sucks that he got sued but i'm just saying like if you want to sue ed sheeran sue him because of the fact that those songs make you want to gouge your eyes in front of the people that you love that's what he that you should get sued for uh not because of the similarities in the music so Overall, I'm happy to see Ed Sheeran not get sued. Uh, this is from the AP. So British singer Ed Sheeran uh, didn't uh, didn't steal components of Marvin Gaye's classic 1970s tune, Let's Get It On, to create his hit song, Thing Out Loud. A jury said with a trial verdict Thursday, prompting Sheeran to joke later that he won't have to follow through on his threat to quit music. The emotions of an epic copyright fight that stretched across most of the last decade spilled out as soon as the seven-person jury revealed its verdict after over two hours of deliberation. 
all this over a family that can't make money on their own, that are solely dependent on a person that's been dead for over the past 40, 50 years on a song that's over 40 and 50 years old. I mean, how is this a good look if you're Marvin Gaye's estate? Now, they're probably going to sue me for defamation. I, I hope not. Like, I hope not. Uh, again, this is just an opinion out there. But this is no, this has been routine behavior for their estate. Where any time that there's a song where there's some form of melody or chord or, or anything that is similar in any way, shape, or form to Let's Get It On, they're the first ones to sue. And it's gone to the point where how can you have any respect for that estate? How can you have any respect for that estate at all? At all? I mean, to sue, th thinking out loud. I mean, first off, I don't even like that song anymore. I mean, I never liked that song, to be honest with you, ever. I've never liked that song. I don't know why I said anymore at the end. That was a mess up on my part. That was a slip up. But I hate that song. I remember that song back in high school. Where that would be that would be like the go-to song for every slow dance in high school. And for some reason, it's continued to be like that. And I I'm just tired of it. I, if anything, I want that song to be sued just so I don't have to hear that song anymore. Honestly, like, I, like I want to make sure. Like, the only reason why I would ever support Marvin Gaye's estate is so that I would never have to hear that song ever again. Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and tired of that song. Okay, I'm sure every high schooler who's listening to this, or any person who's gone to high school in the past four or five so years, it six or seven or so years, I don't know when that song first came out, 2015, 2016 probably, for the past seven or eight years, any person who's been to a high school or been to a dance in high school knows exactly what I'm talking about, where that song was just played on repeat for every slow dance, and and it was just the worst three to four minutes of that night. Bar none. Bar none. So yeah. I, I wish, I wish, if there was one time that I wish, and, and not the only time, not one time, I, I do want to change how I, I worded that. The only reason why there should be any support for Marvin Gaye's estate is so that that song does not play out. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, so let's continue with the article. Sharon32 briefly dropped his face into his hands in relief before standing to hug his attorney, uh, Lene Farkas. As jurors left the courtroom in front of him, Sharon smiled, uh, nodded his head at several of them, and mouthed the words, thank you. Later, he posed for a half-hallway photograph with a juror who lingered behind. He also approached plaintiff Catherine Townsend Griffin, the daughter of Ed Townsend, who created, who co-created the 1973 soul classic with Gay and had testified. They spoke about 10 minutes, hugging and smiling, and at one point, clasping their hands together. Sharon later just reporters outside the courthouse, revisiting his claim during the trial that he would consider quitting songwriting if he lost the case. Um... By the way, I do want to say Ed Sheeran seems like a very nice guy. It's just the song itself, I just find to be like quite cringe. But again, I think he's in the right here. I, I don't think that he should be sued just because some family member from Marvin Gaye thought it would be okay for them for them to sue him. I really don't. Th I really don't think so. I don't think it's it's nice. I don't think it's good to see that. Because it sets up an environment where now any person who has any similarity with a melody, with a chord, with the way that a song is structured, can easily be sued by Marvin Gaye's estate. 
and by anybody by that matter. And I don't think it's 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 good because there will be similarities in music. There will be similarities in music regardless of what genre it is, regardless of what artist it is. And to simply sue somebody just because they have a similar melody or similar chord or similar song structure, I mean, it's just not a good look. There will be similarities in art. Not every thought is unique. And that's not just within music. That's also within stand-up comedy. That's also within, you know, film. Regardless of what art form you're in, there will be similarities within that art form. I mean, even in stand-up comedy, there are a lot of times where I, I hear comedians that open mics at shows be like, did you hear what so-and-so did? That's my joke. He stole my joke. I'm like, you know, they're, they're, you're not unique, right? You know you're not a special snowflake. You know there's there are times where there can be comedians out there that have a very similar thought process to you, that may have similar jokes to yours. That doesn't mean that they stole it verbatim. Like, there are times where you could have similar jokes that, you know, you didn't run into each other with or you didn't have any understanding that you would run into each other with, and you could have very similar jokes because of it. That doesn't mean that you stole it, per se. It just means that your thoughts aren't as unique as you thought they were. You know, that's what it really comes down to, is that we got to realize that our thoughts are really not that unique. So when I see people sue other people for for music, I'm like, that's such a pussy way to do things. It just really is. And it sets up an environment where now people can't have their own melodies that they find to be unique. Otherwise, they'll be sued by other individuals, which is just a wrong way of looking at things. It just is. You know, imagine if you sue other people for jokes just because they're similar. You know, imagine if somebody had a joke saying how dating is hard and then another person had a joke saying how dating is hard and then one person sues the other because of the similar premises. It's like that joke has been done and has been has been ringed out dry for the past 40, 50 years. It's not that original of a thought. It's not that original of a joke. Where is the reasoning behind suing them? You know, I know I'm, I'm talking about specifics in this situation. I'm, I'm talking about certain situations that probably won't play out, but it is important to acknowledge that these things can happen where somebody can sue somebody else for, for the most silliest reasons. Uh, but anyway, so let's, let's get into what Ed Sheeran said. So I am obviously very happy with the outcome of this case, and it looks like I'm not going to have to retire from my day job after all. But at the same time, I'm unbelievably frustrated that baseless claims like this are allowed to go to court at all, the singer said, reading from a prepared statement. He also said he missed his grandmother's funeral in Ireland because of the trial and that he'll never get that time back. Dude, if you had to miss your grandmother's funeral for this, I mean... How can you not support Ed Sheeran? Yes, like his music can be cringe at times. Yes, his music can be played so much so that you feel like shoving a bullet through your head. But at the same time, he's in the right here. He's just in the right. And, you know, I, I think at this moment in time, seeing these lawsuits being thrown out of court, it's important for music when that happens. It's important for artists to feel like they can make music without the need to be sued just because there's a similar melody, vocal structure, song structure, chord, you know, riff, you know, drum ballad, you know, or, or piano ballad, you know, or, you know, or you know, just it's important that artists can be open to what they want to do without the need to be sued. You know, if this was like an overall, overall copy, like to the T of let's get it on. Okay, sure. They have a claim to that. 
and they have you know something that they can sort of ring home with but at the same time this is a completely different song and i don't see the need for them to sue ed sheeran just because of of, of a minute reason to do that it just makes no sense anyways um let's, let's continue with it uh what else do you say uh Inside the courthouse at the verdict, Griffin said she was relieved. I'm just glad it's over, she said at the trial. We can be friends. She said she was pleased that Sheeran approached her. Show me who you was, Griffin said. I think Griffin was the person that wrote the song. Uh, yeah, who co-wrote the song with Marvin Gaye. Which I'm like, if it took a talk with Ed Sheeran to change your opinion on Ed Sheeran and why you shouldn't have sued him, then maybe it wasn't that good of a case for you to assume in the first place, right? And now I don't know if he's the main person behind the, this lawsuit. I don't know. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's his family. But still, the fact that he was still a part of it in any way, shape, or form uh, is it, just so dumb. Because if you're a co-writer of the song, you should look at that family or you should look at whoever is suing at Sheeran and be like, no, there's they're completely... They're two very completely different songs. Why in the world are you suing one of the most popular songwriters of our time, regardless of how you may feel about him? He's one of the most popular songwriters of our time. Why are you suing one of the most popular songwriters of our time just because of how similar the songs are? What's the reasoning behind it? Why are you doing this? It makes no sense whatsoever. I don't know. I don't really get what... what, uh, what uh, Griffin is doing here. She said her copyright lawsuit wasn't personal, but she wanted to follow through on a promise to her father to protect his intellectual property. A juror, okay, whatever. A juror, Sophia Nice, told reporters afterwards that there was not immediate consensus when consensus when deliberations began. Everyone had opinions going on, uh, going in, but both sides had advocates. Said Nice, twenty-three. There was a lot of back and forth. The verdict. Uh, the verdict capped a two-week trial that featured a courtroom performance by Sheeran as the singer insisted, sometimes angrily, that the trial was a threat to all musicians who create their own music. Absolutely right. Sheeran is completely 100% right in that statement. Uh, Sheeran sat with his legal team throughout the trial, defending himself against the lawsuit by Townsend's heirs, who had said thinking out loud had so many similarities to Let's Get It On, and that it violated the song's copyright protection. It was not the first court victory for a singer whose musical style draws from classical soul, uh, pop, and R&B, making him a target for copyright lawsuits. A year ago, Sheeran won a UK copyright battle over his 2017 hit, Shape of You, and then decried what he labeled a culture of baseless lawsuits that forced settlements from artists eager to avoid a trial's expense. Outside court, Sheeran said he doesn't want to be taken advantage of. I'm just a guy with a guitar who loves writing music for people to enjoy, he said. I'm not and will never allow myself to be a piggy bank for anybody to shake. Absolutely right, Sheeran. I mean, I'm not a Sheeran fan. I'm not an Ed Sheeran fan because I, I just don't like that kind of style of music, the bubblegum pop without any sort of substance or like, like zero substance, all style, you know, like I'm not into that. Like I do think Ed Sheeran has a place in pop and you know, obviously he does have, have fans. So obviously, you know, he has his own people for me. I'm just not that kind of guy, but even then I'm still going to defend an artist, even if I don't like them musically. Like if I feel like a lawsuit is being levied against you, where there's no claims to it whatsoever, I'm going to defend you. Because at the end of the day, we're all, as corny as it may sound, especially from a comedian, we're all artists, right? We're all trying to make our own art to the best of our ability. If you're being accused of something that you didn't do, 
in your own art, then I got to support you. I just got to support you on that merit alone. So for me, while I don't really like Ed Sheeran as an artist, I still got to defend him, even if I don't like him, because at the the end of the day, it's important. And if this lawsuit happened to go in Marvin Gaye's estate's direction, man, oh man, the ramifications of this would be crazy. Because then it would not only extend to music, it would extend to film, it would extend to stand-up comedy. There would be times where directors will then sue other directors for certain shots that they had that they feel like were inspired by their own art. There would be times where stand-up comedians would then sue other comedians for jokes that are have similar structures with similar premises and punchlines. Uh, if it's similar premise and punchline, then there might be a case to it. But if it's just a premise alone, if the premises are similar and the direction of which the jokes take place from are different, then I don't see why there would be a need to sue that individual. So again, all that could have happened if this lawsuit went in their direction. Now, there will be times where other art would then be sued upon if there was any similarities whatsoever. And I just don't think that's a healthy way of looking at art. You know, as just a way to sue other individuals. No, that's not a healthy way of looking at it. It's just not. Um, at the trial start, attorney Ben Crum told jurors on behalf of the Townsend heirs that Sheeran himself sometimes performed the two songs together. The jury saw a video of a concert in Switzerland in which Sheeran could be heard uh, segueing on stage between Let's Get It On and Thinking Out Loud. Crum said it was smoking gun, proof Sheeran stole from the famous uh, tune. Just because it's similar doesn't mean that... That, that just because like it's similar doesn't mean that he stole it from them right and sometimes there are times where you could easily segue from one song to another you know i mean if you hear uh kenny beats his uh perform not performance but dj set at coachella you know he had his own song where i think where he like performed or or he, like he produced a song that he had with a, an artist and then all of a sudden he just segued into blur's song too and the transition was seamless. Are you going to sue Kenny Beats just because that song had a similar transition to the next song? No, be pragmatic about this. Be honest about this. Don't just sue people just because two songs are similar in their structure or two songs are similar uh, uh, sonically wise that it's easy for them to transition from one song to the next. Maybe it's just a nice song to transition into. Maybe that's... A possibility uh, it's just like so dumb it's just so dumb when you really think about it uh i'm a little bit uh ahead of schedule here so uh, overall i support ed sheeran i don't think there's anything that there's anything wrong with with him i really don't think so um and i don't think that there were any claims to this whatsoever i went way too into that topic by the way like i went i went i took a deep dive on this I don't know why I thought I could make a YouTube short out of, out of this video or out of this clip, but whatever it is, uh, Ed Sheeran, I don't think he's in the wrong here and I support him wholeheartedly. Anyways, guys, I think that's it for that topic. Uh, let's get into our last topic for today. This is uh, the fun topic. This is the, not, I mean, all of these topics are fun, but this is the topic where I, I want to really like sink my teeth in, even though I may not have enough time to do that. Uh, so Machine Gun Kelly dissed jack harlow on saturday with his own song and essentially what it was a renegade freestyle so he made a freestyle over the renegade beat made by jay-z and eminem and he decided to make his own freestyle dissing jack harlow because of the fact that jack harlow called himself the greatest white rapper since the one who had vomit on a sweater um that's basically where the where the 
this comes from. So overall, I listened to the song, and it was a good song. I don't know if this is my weekly pick because it's been a long time since I recommended an MGK song. I had an MGK phase back in 2021. I'm not happy to, to admit that, but it is what it is. It's what happened. It's what transpired. It's, yeah, it, it's just I had an MG, MGK phase. I'm not going to lie. I, I had an MGK phase. I spent a little too much money on his tickets for his concert, which I'm not the happiest on. I spent actually a lot of money on, his t- on, on on tickets for his concert, which, again, I'm not the happiest about. I had horrible seats. It was not a fun time. Um, now that I watch it on playback, now that I have it in my memory, it was not a fun time. It felt like a chore. But overall, I did have MGK phase. And I'm not going to lie here. I don't think MGK is a bad rapper. I feel like if he's given the tools necessary, he can make a good song. We've seen that with Eminem with Rap Devil. We've seen him, you know, in that trailer rapping, you know, saying I'm sick of these sweatshirts and, you know, these I can't remember the <laughs> I can't remember the lyrics, uh, but overall, it was a nice song. You know, he, he rapped. It, it was a good beat. You know, you know, he was saying that, you know, put the pen already, you're, it, it put down the pen, you know. <laughs> that's all I can really remember from that song. Maybe the song wasn't that great on, on second thought. The fact that I can't remember a single lyric from that song. Uh, maybe it, it may not have been that good. But at the time being, 2018, when all the white rappers going after each other, when Jeezy, you know, dissed uh, MGK and MGK dissed Eminem that week. Oh, man, that was a fun week. That was a fun week in hip-hop. I'm not going to lie. I was glued to to my to my computer Watching the Breakfast Club that day, watching Charlemagne the God, you know, recap the beef, watching, you know, Shrub, DJ Academics give his own takes on it. You know, that was a very fun week of, of fun weekend of, of hip hop when that happened, because man, oh man, the white rappers, they were going after each other like MGK on Eminem, g Easy on MGK. Like it was just a fun, fun week. I don't know if you guys remember that week because it happened like a little over five years ago. But man, oh man, was that so fun to watch! Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good it was a good freestyle. I mean, there was one line in particular that I thought was very very good, uh, which was, "I see why they call you Jackman. You Jackman's whole swag. Give Drake his flow back, man. Um, I eat rappers like Pac Man. Must I regurgitate and show you who's in my stomach from the last dance?" I mean, those are some good lines. Those are some good lines. I know coming from me, it, it may not be the best lines ever, but I, I felt like MGK's flow, I felt like his his style his, on, on on beat, on that Renegade beat, I thought that was really nice, nice sort of diss. I mean, if you listen to Jack Harlow, especially on that last record, and throughout his career, actually, you can tell that he was very much influenced by Drake. You know, when you hear his flow, when you hear his voice on on. on on uh, on songs you can tell that he, he was very much inspired by drake i mean there's certain times you listen to like artists uh when you listen to early tyler you can hear like eminem you can easily hear eminem and know you're tyler the creator when you hear logic even now you can hear kendrick lamar you can literally hear him like even even through like most of his albums like there are times where he just like straight up copies kendrick lamar and it's, it's gone to the point where like come on logic like be somewhat original here like i know i, I just went after like you know suing other people for songs and whatnot but like for this, in terms of rap, like it's important to like cultivate your own persona, to create your own sort of voice on on your own tracks, to simply copy the flows and the beats to the T. It's just a little too much there. Uh, that I feel like Kendrick Lamar would have a case in. 
right? If Kendrick Lamar sued Logic for stealing his own flow and his own persona and his own musical style, there would be a case to it. There really would be. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a very nice line. I eat rappers like Pac-Man, must I regurgitate and show you who's in my stomach from the last dance. I mean, I'm not going to lie here. I liked Rap Devil. I thought it was a nice a uh, nice sort of uh, song, you know, you're not getting better t- with time, it's fine, and come on, put down the pen, you know, how can I even look up to you, you ain't as, you ain't as tall as me, 5'8", I'm 6'4", seven punches, hold your head still, uh, last time you saw 8 Mile was at home on a treadmill, hey, I'm, I'm remembering some lyrics here, uh, it's not a bad song, it's not a bad, in my opinion, I actually think Rap Devil is better than Kill Shot. And that's just my opinion. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm fine to be wrong here. I'm fine to be wrong here. But just of my personal opinion, I enjoyed Rap Devil more than Kill Shot. Obviously, there will be people that will disagree with me on that. Uh, if you find, if you like Kill Shot more than um, than Rap Devil, that's up, completely up to you. You're fine. I understand that. You're probably right. But in my opinion, I thought Rap Devil was a little bit better. Overall, um, you know. MGK, he's a very interesting guy. You know, I don't know if his next album will be completely rap. I feel like him in the pop punk space, I feel like his first album was okay. I mean, at the time, I really loved that album. And if I listen to it again, I might say I really love that album. But I feel like his time in pop punk has kind of come to an end. I really do think so. Because when you hear that last album, you're like, I don't feel like there's anything creatively left for him in the space. I think for now he's got to dip back. I think he's got to dip his toe back into rap because I feel like for pop punk he's done everything, right? He's done everything, right? He's he's had Travis Barker on the drums for 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 both of his albums, you know. I feel like his time. I feel like at some point or time you just gotta like end your time in pop punk because it never ages well. It just never ages well. There's only f- very few times you could be like Blink One Eighty Two. And you can bring the band back together and play the hits. Like it's very, it's very rare on occasion where that can happen, because usually more often than not, pop punk bands are just not. They're just not. You know, sustainable. I mean, where's All Time Low, right? I'm sure All Time Low is still touring, but it's just like back then, back back in the day, 10, 15 years ago, they like they were the big thing, you know. And now where where are they? You know, I mean. I still have a soft spot for All American Rejects. You know, I still like All American Rejects. I still think that they're um, a good, uh, could be a good band. But I still like, I, I still love their singles. By the way, their singles back in like the early two thousands, throughout the two thousands run, their two thousands run was like god tier in my opinion. Uh, I don't know why I'm talking about pop punk here. Maybe it's because of MGK. But overall, I think it's, it's a good diss for me. Like I, I was going to recommend Jack Harlow's album, but then I listened to it on repeat, like two, three listens, and I'm like. I don't know if it's good enough to warrant a weekly pick for it. I don't know if it's good for enough for me to have a podcast recommendation on it. I just didn't think it was that great of an album. On first listen, I'm like, okay, this is a pretty good album. But after a second or third listen, I'm like, eh, I, I see the faults in it. So overall, MGK dist G Easy. Um, sorry, MGK dist Jack Harlow. I'm, I'm again all my white rappers mixed up. My apologies. Um, MGK dist uh, Jack Harlow. I think I mentioned G Easy because G Easy and Jack Harlow did a song together, but. He dissed Jack Harlow or a Renegade. Again, I think MGK, when it comes to battle raps, when it comes to dissing, I mean, I think he's on a different course. I feel like MGK dissing is very, very different from MGK rapping. I mean, it's just like two different specimens. I feel like MGK dissing is like different. Like when you when you hear an MGK diss on a person, assuming he throws second, 
or something he goes second, I feel like he often wins the battle. And more often than not, I feel like throughout rap, like whoever does like a, a reaction to the diss, whether it's like Nas's ether or Eminem's kill shot, in the public opinion, in the eyes of the public opinion, they win the rap battle. But mm. in my opinion, I think Takeover was a good song. I like Takeover. I think Jay Z's Takeover was a good song. Rap Devil, a good song. There's nothing wrong with being the first song. There really isn't. All I, uh, all I want to say is this. I think it's hilarious when I th- when I think what I think it's hilarious when I find out that grown men write poetry to one another. Because that's what it is. It's just grown men writing poetry and reciting poetry to one another about their feelings and emotions. I find it hilarious when I see these hip-hop tough people out in the streets write poetry and show how they truly feel about one another. I find it hilarious when I say when I when I see that. I think it's hilarious when I see that. Um, but overall, nice diss. I really enjoy the diss. I want to see what Jack Harlow does. I really want to see what Jack Harlow does when it comes to this. Uh, I know I didn't really spend that much time talking about that topic, so my apologies. But there's not much to dissect. There's not much to dissect. Overall, it's a nice diss. Nice diss by G by by MGK. I'm sorry. I said GZ. Nice diss by MGK. I'm sorry. There's so many, so many names. You know, you could, you could go with the Post Malone. You could go with Yellow Wolf. You could go with <laughs> Logic. You know, there's so many people that you go with, with that white, white rapper space. You know, so. Anyways, guys, I think that's it for the podcast for today. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Ajay Tucker, A J A Y T H A K K A R underscore at the end. Make sure you uh, subscribe to my podcast channel, my podcast clip channel, and my stand-up channel. Um, make sure you uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And last but not least, make sure you spread it through your word, through uh, your text change, through your group threads, spread it through word of mouth to get more and more people involved and invest in this podcast. It is important, it is great. Uh, to get more and more people involved and, and to get more people talking is always a sight to see and is always great to see as a person that has this podcast. Hey, if you have any questions or comments on any of the topics that I've discussed, leave them down below, whether it's on um, MGK's diss on Jack Harlow, whether it is Ed Sheeran's copyright lawsuit uh, on his song Thinking Out Loud uh, and the similarities with similarities with Let's Get It On, or whether it's the WTA recap or ATV recap for the Major Open Finals. Leave any of your questions or comments down below. I respond to each and every one of them if they're good. I don't know if I'm going to release a YouTube short on this because I'm not a big fan of YouTube shorts. I'm just not. I mean, I understand the point of having YouTube shorts, but I feel like when I normally take myself out of context, I hate myself even more than I have to, right? It's important to hate yourself as a person. Like, I think it's important to have, like, some sort of sanity and some sort of self-awareness. So I do think hating yourself is a good thing, but... I don't want to hate myself even more when I know I have to take myself out of context just so, just so I can capitulate to the YouTube algorithm. I understand it's important. It's a byproduct of having a YouTube channel, but I just simply cannot for the life of me enjoy doing YouTube shorts. I just can't. Uh, but I think that's for, for the podcast for you guys today. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk more about things in our political and societal realm. We'll also talk about things in our tennis world as well. So guys, thanks so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk then. All right, guys. Peace. See you all.